Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 45, Ex Machina, Movie Review. Brian here. That is Yancey Eaton. And of course, this is Pop Goes Your World. Before we get started, I did want to mention something. You know, if you like the show, if you enjoy the podcast, and hopefully if you're listening, then you do like it. Um, we would, Yancey and I just have a little favor that we'd like to ask. Um, so it's that time of year again when the podcast awards come around. And what we would like to do is ask if you could just take 30 seconds out of your day. If you enjoy the show, all you got to do is go to podcastawards.com. You just quickly register there, and then you can select your favorite podcast in like a number of different categories. And if you go over to the entertainment category, you'll see there's a drop-down menu, and I've registered our show there, and you just got to click on Pop Goes Your World, and you can nominate Pop Goes Your World in the entertainment category. The category is actually called the Rob Has a Podcast entertainment category. Like, they name the categories after past winners, I guess, of the awards. But anyway, please go to podcastawards.com. And nominate Pop Goes Your World in the entertainment category. It'll take 30 seconds. Yancey and I, we don't really ask for much. You know, we do the show for free around here because we like it. It's fun. We have a great time. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no there's no cost for you to, to download and listen to the show. And if you enjoy it, take 30 seconds out of your day and nominate us at podcastawards.com. So, Yancey, what's happening, my friend? Not a whole lot. Just to piggyback off what you were talking about, um, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but, you know, there's really not like a prize for winning the podcast awards, but we've experienced this in the past whenever we, you, you and I both did Dear Mr. Fantasy together. It is really great exposure for the show. It helps bring a whole new audience to our podcast that has never experienced it before. And, um, you know, the chances of us winning obviously are, are slim to none just because we are a newer podcast with a growing audience that's, you know, small, but still very growing and fiercely loyal, which we appreciate. But like you said, it just takes a couple of seconds. If you guys do do that, it would, you know, just really 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 helped the show a lot um other than that not a whole lot my dad's birthday was yesterday so uh after we conclude the recording tonight we're gonna go out and do some fishing uh him and my brother and i think my sisters are gonna come tag along um it's hot in florida and (laughs) you know i'm still busy at work and stuff like that but i missed i missed recording last week and i I know there's a really good reason why do you want to kind of explain to them why uh yeah okay so about a year ago my wife says to me like i'm not a big concert guy i've just never been like huge going to concerts i'm more of a movie and tv guy right but anyway so she's like are there any concerts that you would like really love to go to you know in your life kind of a bucket list kind of concert thing i said actually there's three uh rick emmett i would like to go see rick emmett from triumph i would like to see um well acdc would have been cool but you know they've disbanded they're no good so that they're out um i would like to see zz top and i would like to see the bare naked ladies so like last year at my birthday my wife took me to see rick emmett that was wonderful um as you know i went with caveman a couple months ago to go see uh zz top and on last week we couldn't record on Friday and when we normally record because I took my son to go see the Bare Naked Ladies. So they were here. Um, it's like the next city over from us called Aurelia here in, in, uh, in Ontario. And they have a folk festival and the Bare Naked Ladies were headlining it. So I took my eight-year-old son over there. I'll tell you what a great first concert for him to go see. You know, like what a band, like they're, they're goofy and they're fun and they're kind of like wholesome. You know what I mean? Like they're, you know, clean and all that. So I have been a fan of Bare Naked Ladies like ever since they came out I remember they came out in like the early 90s I had their original cassette they put out a cassette that they did themselves it had a little sandwich like a submarine sandwich on it with an olive and a stick in it and they had songs on there like McDonald's Girl and If I Had a Million Dollars and then when they came out with Gordon their CD like I just I loved it so one of the things they did and this is just a quick story 
that I loved about them back in the day so much. I remember it was like back in like 91, 92, something like that. I was watching much music. So Yancey, that's the Canadian version of MTV. Okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. I'm watching it and the, the bare naked ladies are like, nobody knows who these guys are at the time. Like I say, it's like 91, right? Nobody knows who these guys are. And they were at like, I think it was Fort Lauderdale. So it was down your neck of the woods, right? And they were there for like mm-hmm. spring break doing a concert. And they, I'm watching them do this concert and they start busting into the, they do a cover of public enemies fight the power. Now, no. I'm like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> this is going to be like, oh, because I mean, like, I love Public Enemy. I mentioned that what on a song, yeah. shows. I love Public Enemy, love Fight the Power. And a bunch of young white guys in shorts from Scarborough, Ontario, on stage rapping Public Enemy. Like, I don't think so, right? They <laughs> were phenomenal. Like, really? they killed it. It was so amazing. They did it, and then they, and, but they changed up some of the lyrics. Like, you know the part when they say, Elvis was a hero to most? They're, they're, they call it, they go, Buddy Elvis was a hero to most. Buddy Rich, Buddy Hackett was a hero. And they just start, so they start riffing on it and having fun. But it was really good. And that's, at that moment, I was like, wow, these guys are actually really, really talented. And, mm. you know, all these years later, they've got some staying power and they stuck around. So, yeah. So I took my son to go see it. So it was so, a lot So of serious question. Serious yes, question yes. about this. How disappointed was your son whenever you said, I'm going to go take you to see Bare Naked Ladies? And he's like, oh, it's just a concert. Yeah. Well, a bunch of a bunch of, uh, bunch of white guys come out and play in music. He's like, where's the Bare Naked Ladies? Exactly. He's yep. eight, you know, yeah, they was really disappointed. He actually really enjoyed it. And let me tell you, they were, they, so they come out and it's, and, and the sun has gone down, right? And so there is, uh, the lights are on them and there's so many bugs like all these mosquitoes are flying so they start just improvising and they start doing this rap song about bugs and they're just like bugs bugs and they're just playing the drums and, they, and then they and then they busted into another rap song they started making up on the spot about the park that it was in and then they were talking about how they're from the area and all this and then it was just they were just they were phenomenal they've got so much energy and they're having fun they are what a concert should be all about so of my bucket list the three bands that i saw rick emmett and zz top and bare naked ladies bare naked ladies were the best by far they were phenomenal and one of my favorite parts was they get done and they go off and everyone's cheering for them so they come out to do an encore they walk out on stage and the and and ed just starts playing the the intro to if i had a million dollars right and everyone goes crazy because you hear the you know the first couple notes and everyone's going crazy and he goes wouldn't it be better if we did this song with Aurelia's own living legend, Gordon Lightfoot, and the place goes crazy, <laughs> and everyone's cheering, and, and so Gordon Lightfoot's going to come out on the stage, and he goes, no, no, he's not really here, but wouldn't that be cool? And then they start playing the song, and I just, uh, th- those guys are awesome, man, I'm telling you, it was phenomenal. So anyway, you ready to get started, my friend? Yeah, man, I'm awesome. Let's All right, let's go. I don't want to get a whole bunch of hate mail and stuff. I think Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever made. Have you seen it, Chris? It was awesome. And I literally lost it. Night of the Living Dead. That movie literally terrified me. People were running out of the theater. Wait, what? See, I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. Yes, word. Okay, so this week we flip things back to you, Yancey, and um, and you obviously get to pick the movie for this week, and you decided to go with Ex Machina. So I I knew going into this, I knew absolutely nothing about this movie. Like mm-hmm. we, even when you mem- the last show when you mentioned that, that that was the title of the movie that we were going to watch, like I'd never heard of it. So and I purposefully didn't do any research before I watched it. Nothing, so that I could just go into a cold. Okay, mm-hmm. Yancey, what the hell are you doing to me? 
What are you <laughs> oh, doing don't. to me? What, are, what is going <laughs> on, man? Holy smokes. Okay, you got to start things off by explaining to me what it is about this movie that you love so much. I'm dying to know. Please, the, the floor okay. is yours. So let me let me just set the table really quickly. Um, I got a, an email the other day talking about how we don't say in advance that there are spoilers in this. I think by now, if you guys are coming new to the show, I, I guess you get a free pass. But we're almost always going to talk about exactly what happens in the film. We give you guys a week notice that you can come to this and you know have a chance to see the film. And I know that there's actually been people that do that with us. that kind of watch it as we announce it. Um, so there will be spoilers in this. Let me just say that. So well, we do kind of announce at the top of the show. You know, like ex machina movie review. You should yeah. probably. Know that we may put a spoiler or two in there, so yeah, that's a good disclaimer. Yeah, but anyway, so disclaimer: spoilers yeah, ahead. Spoilers. If, if you have not seen it, maybe maybe skip this one until you, and come back to it. So, Absolutely. anyways, uh, Ex Machina is a 2015 independent science fiction film. It's a psychological thriller. <clears throat> it was directed by Alex Garland. I think he also wrote it. Um, it stars Dom Hall Gleason, who is um, General Hux, and uh, from uh, The Force Awakens. He's also um, the android from the Black Mirror TV series. I'm sure you remember that, Chris. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before. Um, and it also stars I- uh, Oscar Isaac, who's also from The Force Awakens. He was Poe Dameron. Um, he was the villain in the new uh, X-Men Apocalypse movie that just came out a couple years ago. Um, so both of these are kind of like up-and-coming actors who all of a sudden are getting really, really interesting roles. And, you know, in the next, you know, three to five years, I think you're going to start seeing them more and more. Um, it also stars Alicia, uh, I think her name is Vicander or Viclander. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. Very, very beautiful woman. Incredibly talented. Um, so it basically is about a, a programmer who works for a company that's kind of Google-esque. Um, they're, they're, they're basically playing this off as like a Google-type company. He works for this company. He wins this award uh, as as a computer programmer where he gets to go basically spend a week on the estate of the CEO and owner of this gigantic, um, you know, artificial intelligence company. And long story short, they, he basically introduces him, the main character, Oscar Isaac's character, Nathan introduces him to, uh, this AI that he has been building. And he basically wants to help him test it to see if, you know, it obviously passes the Turing test where people can, you know, tell that it's actually interacting, but also, the test is to see that this thing is still, you know that it's a robot. It shows that it's a robot. You can see all the, you know, uh, you know, machinery and stuff on it. It's not, it doesn't have a full skin of, you know, human humanism to it. It it doesn't look like a full human body, but um, to know that it's a robot and to still believe that it is human and that it's actually thinking for itself. Um, A lot of stuff happens with this. Um, I mean, it it honestly gets pretty dark and it tackles all these different elements of, you know, what are we going to do whenever, uh, AI basically surpasses or equals that of human intelligence, and there's all kinds of ethical dilemmas that's involved in it. Um, this is a film that had a very, very small budget when you consider 2017 or 2015 standards. It only grossed $37 million in the box office. Um, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, though, this has a 93%. This is one of the highest reviewed films on the entire site. So um, it's right in my wheelhouse. I think it's a, a, a perfect, very, very simple, beautifully shot sci-fi film, and I really, really hope you like this because I, I knew that moon was a little bit of a stretch for you and i i I was holding out faith that you would like this so what are your takeaways what are your main thoughts on next so i should i and i told my wife i would mention this so one of the things is so every week i'll I'll say to my wife okay this is the movie that we have to watch this week and what she does is she'll go onto her phone and she'll go to imdb and she'll read the synopsis and based on the synopsis she decides if she's going to watch it with me just based on like a one sentence synopsis so she looks at it and she goes, I'm not watching this movie. This looks dumb. And then so she says, you got to tell Yancey to stop picking dumb movies. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, precious. so she didn't watch it. So I so I decided to watch it. I, I Okay, so it was, what, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes? 
93%. Yeah. 93%. Wow, that's high. I hate to tell you I'm in the 7% that didn't like it. I I don't know, man. I just it. Oh, I don't know where do I start with it. Um I found it to be boring. Um I I don't know. It just plodded along. I thought um what's his name? Uh Isaac Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac, uh, the guy from uh, Force, Force Awakens. I thought he, I thought he was interesting, but I thought that he, it was kind of a one note performance. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I honestly, I, I thought it was kind of boring, and I just, it didn't really explore anything. I, like it took that could have been an episode of a TV show. That's what I think. It took two hours. It took an hour and forty five minutes, however long it ran. It took uh, almost two hours, uh, something that could have been accomplished, I think, in a half an hour TV show. And speaking of TV shows, it reminds me of Westworld a lot. Like, there's a lot of parallels mm-hmm. to it. And if you remember, previously on a previous show, I'd mentioned I mentioned d- I didn't like Westward- Westworld either. And I know, like, some people were on me about that. Like, how can you not like that? It's the best. I read somewhere uh, on Twitter this week, actually, they just said that um, they felt that Westworld was the best TV show of 2016. Well, let me tell you, I'm in the minority on that one because I didn't like it at all. I gave up on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, okay, so here's the thing. You mentioned that it's um, the thing with the search engine. And that's basically what the, the plot is, right? This guy, um, Oscar Isaac's character, uh, he's the, the CEO and founder of this basically search engine company. And mm-hmm. then they, they kind of, but what they're doing is, is they use search engines to like, not just determine what people are searching for and not just even what they're thinking, but like how they think about stuff. And it uses that to get the information to kind of create the AI and to kind of power the AI and stuff. So you know what right. that made me realize? It made me realize something. Millennials are friggin' paranoid, dude. You guys are paranoid. It's like you have this this paranoia and like I you know, like in terms of like like the search engines are like trying to figure out our brains and like take us over. It was like when we watched the uh the Matrix, the same thing. Like computers are taking over the world and they've got control of us. So, you know, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it just it's very interesting that it seems like this is another film, um, you know, a millennial film that, that's based on a lot of paranoia or fear of like, you know, of technology and kind of things like that. That's mm-hmm. obviously true, right? I'm not making this up. I don't think paranoia is the correct word because basically what they're showing us is machine learning at its best, right? So the fictitious company in this, like I said, it's it's they're called Blue Book in the film, but it very closely emanates Google. Um, it it it's the character Nathan is basically like a Sergey Brin type character. Um, so it, there's all these different parallels. Um, you mentioned that like it pulls from the search engines and it sees how people think, how their thought processes are. It breaks down language in a very very simple state to where um, it can literally. Like you were, you were mentioning riffing earlier with the Bare Naked Ladies, where uh, it, this artificial intelligence can actually adapt. It can take your words. It can use them in different you know, puzzles and, and, and make sense of something where uh, normally it would be very, very difficult for a machine to do that, right? So it's learning. But it also talks about how he was pulling all of these facial expressions and, and emotions and being able to tell if somebody is being truthful or lying or mad or upset or physically attracted to another human being or a robot by basically using all the front-facing cameras on laptops and phones and everything like that. So this isn't paranoia insofar as paranoia is afraid of something that isn't true or you're you're convinced that something is out there to get you or watching you. Um, I don't really think that's the case because this is something that's been going on for you know almost a decade now. This is very, very real. You know, NSA revelations came out. Basically, we are being watched. Every single time you type into something into a Google search bar, you know, it's anonymized, but all of our actions online are being stored, they're being calibrated, and that's going into machine learning that's making artificial intelligence smarter and smarter and smarter. It's not paranoia insofar as in 20 
20 years, we'll no longer have things like truck drivers. Um, you know, in 50 years, people won't know what it's like to drive a vehicle because artificial intelligence is going to greatly, um, you know, surpass in safety and efficiency what a human being can do behind the wheel. It's not like what you view as paranoia and just like, oh, those millennials with like their technology. This is basically uh, giving us almost like a preface to what's going to happen in the very, very near future. So like my, my, my take on it is completely different where it's, it's slowly introducing us to these themes that we're going to have to decide on. Um, like one of the major things in this is he's made multiple versions of this artificial intelligence. Um, and whenever, you know, he has this system, he has this algorithm that he implants into an actual, you know, humanoid type robot or Android. And whenever he is done with that version, he basically, you know, pulls the plug on them and he has all of these different versions in this, you know, in this stockade style home somewhere. Um, and basically what it's saying is, how far do we let technology progress and how advanced do we let them become with their artificial intelligence until there's some sort of like accountability that has to be there because they're basically, like I said, undiscernible from a human being. So it, it tackles that. It tackles privacy in the, you know, the digital age. Like, are we okay with all of our information being stored and used for profit? Are we okay with uh, you know, how artificial intelligence is being, you know, utilized and how it's going to supplant human beings. I mean, I'm talking a lot right now, but like it, it harks on all of these fears that are not just paranoia and, you know, just blindly, you know, assuming the worst. Like this is something that's going to look very, very real. Maybe not in your lifetime, Chris, but certainly in mine, you know, in my nieces. Because I'm so old, right? Yeah, because you're, dude, you're, I, you're. I'll be lucky if I make it to the end of this podcast without dying. I'm so yeah. old. Yeah, I know it's 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 really interesting. Like I, <laughs> I, I understand. Like uh, we we have two major themes right here, right? Like you like to watch movies um, that are. Uh, it's 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 heavy on humor, wordplay. It's very very clever. A lot of riffing, a lot of uh, a lot of creativity that goes into these things, right? Um, and I appreciate them, and I I do enjoy them when I watch them. Whenever I'm looking for a particular movie, uh, especially like one that I would go out to see in theaters, right? I'm looking for something that that tackles one very specific idea, like this, like we mentioned with the artificial intelligence. It tackles a specific idea, and it's almost trying to give you like a almost like a, a like a, a lesson on something that could potentially happen. You know what I mean? It opens up your eye to a different way of thought. And, you know, I always gravitate towards films like this. That's why I rank them so highly. Um, it, it was like that with Moon. It was like that with District 9. Um, whenever I watch a movie, um, my goal at the end of it is a little different. I'm not just looking to be entertained. I want to learn something, and I want to see things a little differently. You know, with all due respect to movies like Air Blazing Saddles, like, I didn't, while well, I enjoyed them, it wasn't, it, I didn't, take something from that that's going to stay with me forever or it's not going to make me view the world any differently does that make sense it does so i think but, like but you yeah. and i will we'll always have that discrepancy between our films just because like our goals whenever we watch a movie are just so so vastly different what do you think about that i i think you're you're probably right but maybe my my take is is this that i look to movies a little bit more for entertainment for the most part there's some movies mm -hmm. that i absolutely love for for you know the advanced content and things in them but for the most part i look to movies for entertainment and I look for to books a little bit more for um, for for that you know for more advanced right. concepts for the most part and that kind of brings up the, okay so I've got a couple questions so yeah, sure. uh, number one um, how many times have you seen this movie I'm curious uh, I more saw than it once in theaters I you know what's funny is that yeah I've definitely seen it more than once I saw it in theaters twice which when you consider the fact it only grossed 37 million dollars <laughs> you know I actually have like a pretty large percentage of that but yeah I saw it in theaters twice I've watched it maybe three or four times since then I just watched it again this week on Amazon um, so I probably watched it seven or eight times I think wow. that's interesting because like we've talked about this before and we've you know I've, I've always made the point that I think Gen X films are eminently rewatchable they just have a rewatchable quality to them and I find a lot of millennial films don't and like this one kind of strikes me as that like I watched it once I wouldn't I would not watch it again i've seen it mm -hmm. i've gotten everything i need out of it 
I don't think there's anything else that I didn't get. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something. And I guess maybe that's part of these Gen X movies that we keep throwing at each other. Or I throw at you, for that matter. Um, I guess it's more just an entertaining thing. So I just want to be entertained again. So I just watch it again and laugh or and you know go for that ride again. Whereas here, I probably wouldn't. So that's one thing. The second thing is that they kind of, as, as time goes on, as much as things change, you know, sometimes they, as much they, they stay the same. And as more movies come out and stuff, we just find it's the, you know, the same things are getting recycled over and over again. You know, like to mm-hmm. me, the parallels between this movie and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein are pretty obvious. You know, and it kind of jumps out at me. Um, it's just kind of a modern version of Frankenstein. With and, like the creator and the creature type thing. Yeah, like exactly. Those you know, and, and the, yeah, the, the creating, you know, life from nothing and kind of, and then what happens to it, it takes on its own life. And the thing for me is, is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is one of my favorite books of all time. It's in my top 10 of books that are mm-hmm. of novels right um but for me that has never translated to the big screen ever i i don't know of any versions of frankenstein um theatrically that were that, that i thought were good um any incarnations of it like this or in any other incarnation um that, that really it just doesn't work on screen for whatever reason there are some books that it just don't work on screen and that's mm-hmm. one of them that. and maybe that was Play, at play for me as well because to me like this is some, this is something like I think to me I think this would make a much better book than a movie does that make sense I agree with that um, I, I hate the the determination that people make that you know oh well the book was better um, I'm not saying you're doing that here but of course the book is always going to be better because there's no limitation on your mind right um, with a movie there are budget restraints there is you know whatever a CGI can invent or you know there's there's a lot of limitations that goes into that with Frankenstein you mentioned that like I think everybody had to read that in school at some point I think I've read it once as an adult and once as a kid it's a very good book obviously and you know it's been riffed on for you know countless times dozens and dozens of times that actual theme um but yeah it doesn't there i can't think of a an outstanding frankenstein-esque film that works as well as that book does and it's just it, other it's than maybe young are, frankenstein but we'll get into that another time right but i mean whenever you're dealing with a classic like that i think you're always going to see that where any any remix or any any uh, deviation off of the uh, the original it's it's kind of always going to fall short um I'm trying to think where we can go with this to kind of like wrap this discussion up. I well, do think that anybody couple, who's yeah, a couple of things ahead. I want to mention, like that I thought was interesting early on in the film. I thought it was cool when um, when Nathan, that was uh, Oscar Isaac's character, when he says, uh, "Who are you going to call?" He's like, "Ghostbusters." Who are you going to call? He's like, "What? What? You don't know that movie?" He says to the guy, and I thought, you know what? At that moment, it reminded me totally of this podcast because it's like you know, it's like this older <laughs> guy is like saying, "What? You've never heard of that movie? Well, how can you not know that?" I thought one of the other plot devices that seemed unusual to me was the fact that he drinks so much. It was never explained. It was never kind of, you know, like that, that he was this, this genius that had to have this 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 outlet or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And really kind of what it did was it kind of came down to a bit of a plot point. The fact that, oh, I'm going to get him drunk tonight and then I'm going to, you know, bust us out of here. And then it didn't go to fruition. So it kind of made things, you know, like, so really it was just a plot point. Though I don't know. To me, there was just a few things that were a little bit derived of the whole thing. That I, That's what I thought. Um, what was the other thing that I wanted to mention to you? Oh, and by the way, um, when you mentioned um, Oscar Isaac, and obviously you mentioned he's obviously well known for being in The Force Awakens because he was Poe Dameron. But he was not my favorite pilot of any of the Star Wars movies. That, of course, was was Porkins. And if we just mentioned that before we came on the air, we were talking. Yes, we did. Uh, we were getting ready to go. Just uh, we, you always say you want to peel back the curtain and kind of let people know what goes on. Yancey yep. texts me right before the show. Hey, man, are you ready to go on? I'm like, yep. Just give me five minutes, and we'll start 
recording the show. And he's like, okay, 10-4, a red leader. And I'm like, no, just call me Porkins. So, you know, Porkins is one of my favorites. I <laughs> saw somewhere. No I know, I, exactly, you know, because I'm a heavy guy. So uh, <laughs> I saw somewhere a little while ago, I think it was on Twitter, that they actually created um, a little figure. You know how, like, the Star Wars figures that they have? They actually had a Porkins figure. I'm like, well, if you find that somewhere, Yancey, buy it for me. Um, I thought Caleb, <laughs> um, that uh, his character, or the, the actor, um, I thought he reminded me of a young Thomas Hayden Church. I couldn't get it out of my head watching the mm-hmm. whole movie. I don't know. There was another concept, though, that came up that kind of struck me, too. You know, I was talking before about, you know, using search engines and being paranoid of technology and all that. There was another one, though, that this idea of the fact that um, that he would, that Caleb was the chosen one. They even mentioned that in the movie. He's like right. the chosen one. I thought this comes up again. It's just like in The Matrix. There's that recurring theme of somebody who's a chosen one, um, which I thought was interesting. When What was the deal when he cut his arm? When he kind of like that was actually hard to watch. I was like, "Whoa, what the heck? What, what was what was the thematically going on there? I don't really get it." I think I think what that was was so he's he's in this this like stockade style. Uh, you know, it's it's a very very nice house. In reality, my wife actually looked it up. It's a it, I think it's in like the Netherlands. It's an actual hotel. Um, but basically, like whenever he's doing all of these Turing tests and he's having, you know, he's having conversations with Ava, the artificial intelligence, he's going back and forth with her and he's trying to help Nathan, who created her, um, basically expose any bugs or things that he can improve on to make her seem more realistic. Um, I, I think that's kind of like a play on where he's basically starting to have doubts about reality and about what actual consciousness and agency is, where he's trying to determine at some point where, well, what is my origin? Is it a possibility that I'm actual artificial intelligence as well? You see what I'm saying? I'm basically implanted with a memory, and I'm I'm an artificial intelligence that is basically testing another one. You see what I'm saying? Um, so I think it was one of those things where, like, it was almost like an identity crisis where, um, you know, he felt so violated because all of his search history, he basically finds out at the end of the film that Nathan had completely, um, you know, opened up his entire life and knew everything about him up to, like, the deepest, darkest secrets as far as, like, you know, his porn you know, viewing history and stuff. So right. he knew everything about him. And I think it was just one of those things where like, he almost lost like his sense of humanity whenever he was dealing with this artificial intelligence. And that was almost like him just reassuring himself that he still actually was a person despite, you know, having been violated like that and, you know, calling into question his own humanity. That's what I think. I don't think it's actually, you know, obviously it's not explained in the film at all. Um, It's a little open for interpretation, but that's what I got out of it. Another theme that I thought was interesting, and this was one that was touched on in Westworld as well, was this idea of, can you be attracted to a robot? And they kind of went into that here. Like even the, if you remember the scene where Caleb's, he kind of gets excited watching her undress and that kind of thing. And it was very interesting because even when, um, when Nathan was mentioning, oh, well, you know, I've built her anatomically correct. Oh my. These themes are kind of recurring. And, and even the, um, the Oriental one, uh, you, you thought that she was a human. Then it turns out that she's a robot as well. Really, really attractive and all that. It was just an interesting thematic going on there again i just think it's a it's a very millennial film it's definitely yeah. a very very millennial film uh no question a, about that but uh so overall i guess um you probably want to know so what would you rate it out of 10 we always do this like uh, on a scale of one to 10 what do you give in this movie obviously very high yeah i would give this like a 9.4 9.5 i think it's an absolutely perfect film i think the as much as left that is left for interpretation, especially like the ending where she basically um, she locks him inside the compound and she kills her creator and she goes out into the world and it shows her at the very end just uh, like walking to like a crowded you know intersection among a bunch of people walking to and from and she just starts to uh, integrate into society. I think it's 
I thought it was like a perfect ending. It was a perfect film completely. Visually, it's stunning. I thought all of the acting performances were incredibly strong, and it's just a really, really unique standalone film. So I thought I, it was... I'll probably give it a 9.4. Yeah. Wow, that's high. I, I, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned that one, because when she um, obviously killed um, Oscar Isaac's character, and then she left Caleb locked in there, and she left, I thought it was interesting, because when she was leaving, before she even left the compound, she was walking up the stairs, and she turned, and I don't know if you picked this up, but she, she smiles. It's the first time in the movie that she smiled. I, I, mm-hmm. know, I was like, oh, she just smiled. And, you know, I don't know if she was smiled because she was seeing, looking out the windows and seeing trees and stuff for the first time, or if she was smiling because, you know, what she had just done or she's going to get out of there. I don't know. That was supposed to be ambiguous, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, man, you're going to hate me. So you give it like a 9 point, what, 9.5? I'll say a 9.4, yeah. Oh, man, I got to give it like a 4. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just do. Well, I how- just, let, yep. let me ask you this question, yep. Chris. How do you reconcile, um, like, a site like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, who has, I know. you know, preeminently, like, what, what most consider to be, like, the most uh, representative, like, rating system? You know what I mean? It takes into account so many different things and, and how it's weighted and stuff. How do you reconcile, like, something that is scored so highly like that versus, like, your own personal interpretation of it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I guess I just, I don't know. This is just my feeling on it. Like, I mean, like, that's what I got out of it. That's how much I enjoyed it. And you know what? I'm, I'm railing against those people out there on Twitter and that send me emails that say that I'm textbook. You know, like, I just go with the textbook things. I go with the popular picks if you were, If you were but anything, I'm going against it, it here. textbook, yeah. yeah I'm totally, totally going against the, the thing here, and I guess it's just a personal thing, and maybe it's because I'm a Gen Xer. I'd like to hear from other Gen Xers that watch this movie, and if they loved it, or if they didn't like it. So if you're a Gen Xer, please, you know, send me a, send me a tweet. Send me an email. You know, you can at C. McBrien or, you know, Chris at PopGoesYourWorld.com, and, and let me know what you think, because I want to know, am I a cult of one? Maybe I am. But I'm standing by what I say, and this is what I feel, you know? I love it. Anyway, okay, so time now for some fun with Yancey. Okay, so this is the part of the show where I'm going to ask you some trivia. You love this movie a lot. This is the highest rated movie of yours that we've done on this show so far. So this, Correct. This one ranks the highest. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so I got some questions for you. Yancey, uh, Alicia Weekender. okay, she plays Ava. She's a mm-hmm. Swedish actress, and uh, she speaks with an American accent for the role, and so she obviously landed the part for this movie. But do you know which actress was seriously considered for the role before they eventually settled on Vikander? Um, I don't know, but I'm going to guess and say Scarlett Johansson. No, it was Molly Ringwald. What? I'm just shitting you. I'm totally oh. <laughs> I'm just pulling a Gen X goof on you. No, it was Felicity Jones almost got the part, actually, believe it or not. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. It was that. pretty close. Okay. Um, okay, so this movie, I mentioned that I felt that the parallels were close to Frankenstein, but this movie is actually a de facto retelling of a Shakespearean play. Yancey, can you name the play that this movie is actually based on? I cannot, and nor will I. <laughs> the Tempest. Okay. All right. I I have not read it. I'm not familiar. Okay, sir. This movie was nominated, believe it or not, for two Academy Awards. And it actually (laughs) won an Oscar, surprisingly enough to me. I'm just totally kidding you. Um, So, yeah. No, it actually won an Oscar. It's nominated for two and it won an Oscar. Can you name the category in which the film took home the gold? Mm. I know it's not going to be one of the bigger ones like Best Picture or something, right? It's got to be – it's got to be something with like – CGI or something. I'm not sure exactly what the category yeah, was. I guess I'll give it to you as best visual effects. 
And actually, okay. I'm surprised because it was up against Mad Max Fury Road. And Mad Max Fury Road won like every like, technical yeah. award that year. Which, but but the other thing was, sorry, yeah? Which, by the way, they just announced production. The script is completed and there's going to be a sequel to Mad Max, which I'm very, very excited about. So that's a little aside. But. I hate to break it to you, but the sequel to Mad Max was in 1983. OK, <laughs> uh, so anyway, a little bit of Gen X, you know, you know ire there. OK, uh, the other thing, too, is the visual effects. So Ex Machina won, but it was also up against Star Wars The Force Awakens. You uh, Seriously, you telling me this movie's visual effects were better than Star Wars The Force Awakens? Give me a friggin break. All they did was they CGI'd <laughs> over the girl to make her look like she had see-through parts. Ah, oh, come on. Okay. Uh, the other thing, it was also nominated for a writing for the best uh, original screenplay. Okay? But it okay. lost a spotlight. But, uh, okay. Oscar Isaac. Uh, he obviously famously played X-Wing pilot Poe Dameron in Star mm-hmm. Wars The Force Awakens. We mentioned that. Even though Porkins is the best X-Wing pilot who ever lived, damn it. Um, but anyway, he's not the only member of the cast to appear in The Force Awakens. Domino Gleason was also mm-hmm. in the Star Wars movie. Yancey, can you name the character that Domino Gleeson played in Star Wars The Force Awakens? I believe you already did. I think it was, uh, is it Hux? General Hux? Yes. Get that's correct. Right. Yes, that's correct. He's great in that too, by the way. Oh, yeah, he's he absolutely great. fantastic yeah, he in that. He was, uh, okay, I'm not even going to get into it too much more. I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I thought he was a little bit miscast in this movie, Ex Machina. I thought it could have been played by different actors. It's anyway. so wild how you and I can have such I completely know, different takes on Isn't it, Chris. crazy? Um, wow, there you go. Uh, okay, so the title, Ex Machina. It's mm-hmm. actually a shortened version of a Greek saying, which is Deus ex machina, which means God from the machine. So the term is it's kind of evolved over the years. You like it kind of like now means a bit of a plot device where sort of like this unsolvable problem is suddenly like there's been an intervention somehow and some new character has dropped in and kind of solved the problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Yancey, what trippy TV series? which began in 2004, had an episode named Deuce Ex Machina in its first season. Do you know? Uh, (laughs) When you first first mentioned to me this movie, hey, we're going to watch a movie called Ex Machina, the first thing I thought of was an episode episode titled uh, Deuce Ex Machina from this TV series. So that's why I put it in here. 2004, 2004 trippy TV series. Trippy. I got nothing, Chris. It's lost. Lost. It's the one where Locke and Boone go looking for the plane up on the cliff. Anyway. Okay. uh, Okay. So, Ex Machina, Yancey, was, this is, you get a three-part, okay? You get one of three. I'm going to narrow it down. Was this movie a little (laughs) a lot (laughs) or mega What do you think? Um, I'll go with a little (laughs) No, I'm sorry. In fact, it was mega I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm just totally kidding you. It wasn't that bad. I just you know, we got to have some adversity here on the show. But no, really, I, yeah, I just didn't like it obviously that much. But you loved it, so that's what makes the show fun, though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Yancy. All right, here's the time uh, part of the show now where I've got to put a movie on you. Okay. So yep. your mission. So should you choose to accept it, young man? As I always say, in preparation for our next show. Okay, I want you to watch. You obviously have to watch the Gen X movie of my choosing, young man. So Yancy. Actually, before we do that, let's just be honest here for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. I want an honest answer from you. Okay, don't worry. You're not going to hurt my feelings, okay? Yancy, do you think I'm a nerd? Yes. Good. Do you consider yourself to be a nerd by any chance? Very much so. Good. I mean, yeah, I do. I, I, I consider both of us to be nerds. We both like fantasy baseball and like movies and TV shows and Star Wars and all mm-hmm. that crap. So as far as nerds go, what could be better than if we all kind of rose up 
And if we fought back against those who oppressed us, well, you know what would be better if we watched a movie where this actually happens? Yes, I'm talking about the 1984 comedy classic Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> I want you to watch Revenge of the Nerds, Yancey, and okay. come back next week prepared to talk about it. All right, I'm down for that. For the record, I have never seen this film, but it came out the year my parents graduated from high school, so I guess why I not, right? Enjoyed. One of the things that I think that is going to be an interesting talking point next week is how movies have changed so much. The R-rated comedy, it doesn't really exist the way it used to back in the, the 80s, and this was definitely an R-rated comedy, so there's going to be lots to talk about next week, that's for sure. So you watch Revenge of the Nerds, come back next week, we'll talk all about Revenge of the Nerds, and then we'll go from there. Hopefully you'll enjoy it, but we'll have to wait and see, obviously. Um, until then, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you will find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at C McBrien, that's uh, I-E-N and you'll find Yancey at Yancey Eaton or you can shoot us an email if you want, Chris at PopGoesYourWorld.com or Yancey at PopGoesYourWorld.com but until next time this is Chris McBrien on behalf of Yancey Eaton, the millennial saying thank you for listening to Pop Goes Your World the pod culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 